You're listening to audio from The Village Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit tvcresources.net. Good morning, church. My name is Marissa Castilleja, and I am on staff here at The Village. Um, I also volunteer in LV, and I'm a care advocate in our care ministry. I will be reading Malachi 3, 7 through 12. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil, and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hey, guys. So in the nine, she came out way early, and we've been giving her a hard time. Well, I've been giving her a hard time. And then I'm sitting back there giving her a hard time, and I realized I wasn't even wearing my mic. So then when she came out here, I had to sprint, or as fast as I move, and get my mic on and run back. So I had to confess, hey, I know I was dogging you, but I wasn't even prepared. So... She's amazing. Now, I know you might be thinking, oh no, I came on the tithing sermon day. And you would be right. It's fine. Uh, If you remember, if you've been here, um, on May 15th, we started what was going to be a three-week series on generosity and how to consider and think Christianly about our money. Uh, And then because of the brokenness of the world, it was a good and right thing to pause and lament And then because of the beauty in the world, it was a good, right thing to pause and celebrate, which now brings me back to the final uh, piece of our generosity series. But before I do that and not attached to this in any way, on Thursday and Friday of this past week, we closed on the corner property. So we, the village church now owns the shopping center from Browning to Morris. Um, and, and I'm not taking an offering today for that. All right. We, and then we met just so you know, I've got to be fast about this. We met for several hours this week, um, with a design company that's going to help us maximize the space. When we bought this and built here 13 years ago or so, we were doing multi-site. We had five camp. We were blowing up, adding campuses. And so we really built this as a place from which to project to the other campuses, um, the, the service. So we built this thing for service. Um, that's not who we are anymore. All of those campuses have been rolled off. They're their own autonomous churches. And we are a local church in this area of the Metroplex. So we need to rethink how we're using this space. Specifically, if you have children, we know it is a difficult thing. So our priority list to the design firm was next gen space. 
And then we needed a more hospitable place to become the kind of people that we want to become as a family. Like there's nowhere to have a conversation here. And in all honesty, we need you to get out because we got another group we're trying to get in. We want a design that says something different than that. Uh, and so we're already on it. So if you feel the frustration uh, of trying to get a, a child in here or to get in here and get out of here, um, just know we're aware of all of those things and we're working uh, to solve those problems. It is just a couple of boxes. So we, we've got some wiggle room, not a lot. Uh, and we're working to design that. We'll be rolling that out as we get that information. Just wanted to let you know, that's kind of the things that have been going on uh, behind the scenes. Now, uh, I want to, let me, let me tell you what we're going to do. 36 minutes left in my part. I want to remind you where we've been. And then I want to talk about the how of it all. So I want to remind, and I want to talk about the how. And so here's where we've been. Uh, Really, as we've talked about money, as we've talked about stuff, what we've really talked about is the preeminence of Jesus Christ. We, We have talked about the bigness of God. If I could say it, we have talked about God's godness. And and that really the root of how to think about money is wrapped up in God's godness. And that any way of thinking about money and approaching money that tries to divorce itself from God's godness is perverse and gets us off the rails of God's desire to bless our souls. You with me? And so here's the things we've covered that I think are super significant as we start to uh, apply the how. The first is, and everyone in this room, unless you're a child, has already experienced this. Money has spiritual power. When the Bible talks about money, it frames it not as a a kind of neutral thing, but, but as a thing that either pulls us in and conforms us into the image of Christ or pulls us away from him and deforms us into something outside of his kingdom. Let me tell you how you've experienced this. Um, if you have ever made a new purchase, you got a new car, you got a new apartment, you got some new clothes. I got some new clothes. Lauren bought me this shirt and I, I'm, I feel like I'm looking, I feel like I'm a better person than I normally am right now. I'm not, I'm just not wearing my boots, <laughs> Right? Just is too hot for the Wrangler. So it's just cleaner today, right? And, and so if you've purchased something new, it, it will make you think that you're a better person. You ever got in that new car or maybe new used car? You, you smelt that smell? That's a unique smell. It's a smell that says, I matter. I am a better person than I once was. Everyone's looking at me now. Congrats on that 2022 Honda Civic. I bet they are, right? It's this. It just, or, or money will become the solution to internal angst. You ever just feel the pull to go buy something? Feel restless? Just a smidge like something's off. Make that target run. Is that too much? Don't do that. Don't say that one. Find another one. Not you, baby, other people, right? Like this isn't marital stuff. We handle that stuff at home. I never handle that from the stage. That'd be crazy, right? But, but in my point, like something's not right. So I, I need something new and, and you won't think something's not right. You'll have a compulsion to purchase what you don't need. That's spiritual power. And the Bible always frames money around not a neutral thing, but a very spiritual thing. 
So, so we set that up um, week one, and, and then I, I wanted to highlight this because it's just fascinating to me. Uh, like Jesus, who talks about money all the time, never takes an offering, ever. Not, not one time in the scriptures does Jesus give the talk on money about birds and, and, and flowers and, and dress and then pass the plate. Never, which is why when a year ago we put this on the books, I'm like, I'm not taking it. We're not taking an offering. In fact, we're going to say every week, I don't, I'm not taking it. I'm not asking for your money at all. I'm just telling you what the book says. Jesus, look at me, isn't after your money. Look at me, I love you. He's after your soul, though. And if money is a spiritual thing and money has the, point, the, the power to deform your soul, then he dang sure is going to go after it for the good of your soul. You with me? We'll talk more about that. We'll talk, maybe you don't want to, but we're talking more about that, right? And then from there, we really needed to turn our attention to the preeminence of God, namely that everything that exists, God made. Like before anything was, there was God. Now that bends the brain, doesn't it? Like before there was anything ever, there was God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit in perfect harmony. And it was only out of an overflow of that triune delight that spilled out onto the canvas of creation and made everything you and I see and know. And it was so powerful in its overflow that to this day, the universe is expanding in every direction so that God is first. Nothing predates him. Nothing will go beyond him. He is the alpha and the omega. He is first. And this is where it gets crazy. And this is all over our primary text today. And God goes first. God goes first. Let me show you this. Romans 5, 8. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Your testimony of salvation is not that you used to smoke pot and now you don't. That you used to wild it out and now you don't. That you used to be promiscuity, you know, walking and now you don't. That you used to, but now you don't. That, that might be your story, but that ain't your testimony. Your testimony is that while you were stuck dead in your sins and trespasses, God made you alive in Jesus Christ so that he came towards you. You didn't fix you. You didn't pick yourself up by your bootstraps. That's not the message of the gospel. That's humanism. No, God saved you. God moved towards you. You didn't wake up and think you needed him. He provoked your spirit to see. And I know your story. Listen, I got Baptist roots. Like, I know, I get it. Like, you heard a sermon, and then they're like, come down front, and repeat up, and you're like, oh, excuse me, excuse me. And you walked up front, and then the dude gave you a prayer. Dear God, dear God, just ask, just ask. You forgive me of my sins. You forgive me of my sins. That I might, that I might. That prayer did not save you. If it could, that's witchcraft. That's not what we believe. That's an incantation. The spirit did something in that chair that caused you to get your tail up and walk down. Something was quickened. Something was awakened. Something fired up in you. The spirit did the work of illumination. And we were given by the grace of God this moment with a pastor where we could anchor it and drop it. But the work happened before that. Maybe way before that, building up to that specific moment. Right? So, so God not only is first, but God went first. And I, and I could argue all over the Bible that God gave first. Right? You know John three sixteen, right? 
Like God so loved the world that he did what? That he gave his only begotten son. That whoever would believe wouldn't perish, but have everlasting life. So it's God that is first. It's God that goes first. It's God that gives first. And with that as ultimate reality, God requires, not suggests, requires that you and I give him our first and our best. You with me? So that's what we talked about. And so we, we kind of um, started to pull on this idea that Jesus clearly teaches that where your treasure is, there's your heart. We don't see ourselves well. We don't judge ourselves well. Um, maybe this is across the line. If it is, Michael, just rebuke me after Elder Michael. I probably shouldn't say stuff like that if I'm even, let's go. I think spiritually we see ourselves more like men look at themselves in the mirror and not like women look at themselves in the mirror. You with me? Men, there's a woman dying laughing over here, so I think she knows. I don't know what that says about her husband. I'll let them work through that in recovery Wednesday. But men have a tendency to look at themselves in the mirror. You're welcome, baby. Women, no matter how beautiful they are, are always like, oh, mm. right? And so I think spiritually, the reason why Jesus has to say, because we like to look at ourselves in the mirror and go, man, I'm looking good. But Jesus says, ah, funny mirror. That's what you're looking at. You want to know what your first and best is? You look at how you spend your money. Spare me the, I'm in church every weekend. Spare me the, I don't do this, I don't do this. You want to know who's getting your first and best? You look at your wallet. That's what Jesus says. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. So I've tried to make the argument from the book for three straight weeks. You are already tithing. You are giving your first and best to something. There's no one in this room that is not actively making sacrifices to some deity. The question has to be, according to the scripture, who's getting your first and best? Jesus rightly demands that it's his. He rightly demands that it's his. And he makes the argument, here, look at me, that Jesus is the more that you're looking for. So, um, there is, because of where we find ourselves, predominantly, not all of us, but predominantly, this is an upper middle class community. Uh, and that means that, that we are, we're in a spot, guys, because we make just enough to constantly chase the things that we'll never be able to catch. Let me say that again. We find ourselves in a dangerous spot. We're not locked into poverty as to know our desperation. And we're not so wealthy as to know that nothing ultimately will satisfy us. So we're stuck in this super, guys, I'm trying to love you so well. You are in such danger. You make just enough to pursue the next little thing that you think might just be the thing. Gosh, I feel myself get caught up in it all the time. Like, I, I mean, I, listen, we were blue, blue collar. We might, we might not have been blue. It might have been a different color. Like, even the idea of a playroom when I was a kid, it was like there was a room. 
lose. Yeah, whoever we need to put in there. Like, and I'm, a playroom's not bad. We've got one. Love a playroom. I'm trying to say, God doesn't hate wealth. God would even want you to enjoy the, the good gifts that he's given you. I've tried to say that over and over. God doesn't hate wealth. He doesn't despise it. I'm saying that the book says that we had better be careful not to try to find fulfillment where only Jesus can. And being upper middle class is super dangerous for reasons I've already covered. If you were a cajillionaire, you would know. And from Tom Brady to Jim Carrey, they've all said, this is empty. Is this it? And, and most of you, may, some of you maybe have come from the kind of poverty where you just know we're stuck. I was having a conversation with my oldest daughter. She's, she's working, but I mean, she's just working paycheck to paycheck. You tracking with me? Like it's by the time, and right now, by the time she pays gas, she got like $2 left. <laughs> and so to drive to work and to drive home is basically her check. So we had this fascinating conversation a couple of weeks ago about this is what like people get stuck. Like they work in order to barely survive only to work. And we talked about kind of cycles of poverty. And, and so it was a great conversation to have with your 19 year old daughter. We're, most of us aren't stuck in that. Most of us have space to play, if you will. And the Bible's going to say this is dangerous. That money is an MRI to the soul. You can't hide. You can hide in an x-ray, you can hide in a CAT scan. Cannot hide in an MRI. So however you think about yourself, Jesus says, show me how you spend. Show me who actually gets your first and best. That's your God. And that's hard for us. And in fact, you might even feel yourself getting frustrated with me right now. And I think part of that is Jesus says, no man can serve two masters. You'll love one, despise the other, cling to one, reject the other, but you will not serve God and money. And then he didn't take an offering. So the question I want to answer today, quickly now, with 23 minutes left, is the how. How then do we bring our first and best to God? We're bringing our first and best to someone. How do we make sure it's to the Lord? Well, Malachi is this fascinating, heartbreaking book. All right. Um, eventually, maybe we'll preach through Malachi. I don't, I've got you know, a decade plus with you left, maybe two. We'll see. Um, got a lot of books we haven't tackled yet. So maybe Malachi will be one of them. In Malachi, there are six disputes between God and the people of Israel. Um, here, here's what's heartbreaking about the book of Malachi. Israel had just returned to Jerusalem a hundred years before Malachi is written from Babylonian exile. So they rebel against God. They worship Canaanite gods. They sacrifice their children to Moloch. They, they rebel against God and God is a God of his word. So he does exactly what he said he would do. And he raised up nations to judge them. And they go off into exile. And if you know Ezra and Nehemiah and the rebuilding of the wall and the, the rebuilding of the temple, they come back into Jerusalem with great promises to never turn their back on God again, to worship him and him only, to bring their first and best to God. And a hundred years in, they're worse than they've ever been. Isn't that crazy? A hundred years after exile, they're doing the same crud again. I can see myself in this text. 
And so Malachi is a series of six disputes where God gets the last word because look at me, God always gets the last word. The first three disputes, God exposes their corruption and the second three, he confronts it. But the passage tells us how around first and best. So let's look at it. The very first verse, verse seven. This is, by the way, the fifth argument or dispute. And in the fifth dispute, he tells their story and ours. Here's what it says. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and you have not kept them. Look at me. Whenever you and I give our first and best to anything else, we join the story of our fathers. If what's preeminent in your affection and your cash flow is your family, you have a different God than the one of the Bible. Your hobby, you have a different God than the one of the Bible. Your comfort, you have a different God than the God of the Bible. You are bringing your offering to something that will not be able to sustain your worship. And all the married people said, and all the single people said, I'd still like, right? It's fun. It's not, it, right? It, here, here we are. You, you, you're bringing your first and best to the wrong altar. In fact, every time we do this, we break the first commandment. It, you, 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 if you've got a church background, you, you know that this is Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. What is sinning and falling short of the glory of God other than just giving our first and best to something other than the one who is first and who went first? It's worshiping at weak idols, at weak altars. And then you see the character of God next, like a, like a parent pleading with his children. He, he says, return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. He, he wants this relationship, like even that he's talking to them, always like blows the circuits of my imagination. Like they have betrayed at an epic level, repeatedly, And here is God again, even in conversation with him, even the dispute shows a picture of the gospel. He's pleading with him. If you go down to verse nine, he's like heartbroken. He's like, I want to bless you. I want to give you, I want to protect you. I want to provide for you. I don't want this curse to sit on you. Why are you choosing the curse? Why won't you listen Our whole history is me bailing you out. Our whole history is me moving towards you. Our whole history is me protecting and providing to you. Why do you keep running to wells that will not satisfy you? He's pleading like a loving parent with a child who just won't listen about blessings and curses. It's heartbreaking. And then he moves into the how. Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? The answer, in your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse for you are robbing me. The whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. 
and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil. And your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed. For you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. First question that has to be answered. How in the world can you rob God? Let me, let me try to quickly answer the question. Everything you have was given to you by God to be stewarded, stewarded for his kingdom. Let me say it again. Let me say it maybe the negative way, since that's the positive way. You ain't got no money. The money you have has been given to you by a creator, God, who has entrusted you with that to fulfill his plans and mission for the world. Do you remember that passage? Uh, maybe we didn't read it. Did we read the seek first, the kingdom of God passage just a second ago? Let me read it now then. Maybe I did. We're going to just do it again. Why not? All right. So I want to read it because this one's, this one's a big one. Where, where is it in my notes? What's happening today? Oh, here we go. This is um, Matthew 6, 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. So, so do you see, what, hey, your single mind, I'm going to seek first the kingdom of God so that as Christians, there should be something about my life, about how I spend my money, how I spend my time, how I've ordered my life, where you could look at me and my family and go, they love the kingdom of God. Like you, you get into my tax return. You're like, this brother loves the kingdom of God. You look at how we've ordered our lives. This family loves the kingdom of God. You seek first the kingdom of God and all of these things will be added to you. That's not a promise of prosperity. That's a promise of presence. Look at me. That is not, oh, you cannot put God in your debt. You track it with me? Why? Because it's all his. Like how can God owe you for your generosity when you're just stewarding his stuff? Right? So the way we rob God is that everything we have from the life force in us, like the energy we have, to the gifts we have, to the dollars he has entrusted to us, is about the kingdom. When I take any of that and orient it around me or give it to some other altar, I rob the one who it belongs to. So how do you rob God when you think that's your stuff? How do you rob God when you think that's your house? How do you rob God when you think that's your money? No, no, no. You steward what's been given to you. You steward it. It belongs to him. So, two things I want to point out in this passage, and I'll use my remaining time to do it. The, the first is I, I love the command to bring to him. Notice that the passage doesn't tell anyone to take. The passage doesn't say, you know, organized church, take. The book says, you bring out of what motivation? Gratitude and gladness and an understanding that you're a steward of what ultimately is not yours. 
like you are meant to bring. In fact, there are these great warnings about how even you're supposed to bring. Listen to the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. You know why I'm not taking an offering today? Because God help me if I like, try to manipulate you to do so. I mean, that would just be the exact out. What Jesus is after is your heart. All of this today is about exposing what's going on in your heart. All of this today is about how much Jesus loves you and how serious he is about your full surrender and submission to his lordship for your own joy and his glory. This isn't take, this is bring with strict commands not to do so under compulsion or reluctantly, but rather... And then did you see what God loves? He loves a cheerful giver. The Greek is hilaron. It's where we get the word hilarious. It's this picture of like losing our minds. <laughs> Give it down. I mean, it's like, hey, bro, calm down. God loves radical generosity. He loves it. It shows what your first and best actually is. And then he tells you exactly what to bring, to bring the full tithe. Now, uh, tithe, it, it just means 10%. Uh, a tithe is a tenth. It, it's to bring the first and best 10% into uh, the presence of God and lay it as his feet. It's got a long history in the Old Testament. started with Abraham and Melchizedek. I'm going to give that one to you for time's sake. Uh, but you can dig through this. It's a fascinating way that 10% came to be what they were meant to bring in. But as Moses begins to give the law to the people of Israel, you see both in Deuteronomy and in Numbers, a series of commands concerning the tithe. Let me show you one um, in Deuteronomy 26, one through four. When you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you for your inheritance and have taken possession of it and live in it, you shall take some of the first of all the fruit of the ground which you harvest from your land that the Lord your God is what? Giving to you. Do you see who goes first? Whose land is it? God gave it to you. God made a way for you. God entrusted you. And the passage continues. Which you harvest from the land that the Lord your God is giving you and you shall put it in a basket. And you shall go to the place that the Lord your God will choose to make his name dwell there. And you shall go to the priest who is in office at the time and say to him, I declare today to the Lord your God that I have come into the land that the Lord swore to our fathers to give us. Then the priest shall take the basket from your hand and set it down before the altar of the Lord your God. Again, we find passages around not just a tenth of the produce from the land, whether vegetables, grain, or fruit, but also a tenth of every flock of herd to bring to the Lord. Now, in each of these cases, you see what we just saw in Deuteronomy. What are we bringing it for? To say, you have given, you have provided. I am filled with gratitude. It's not, I'm gonna put God in, I'm gonna give him this so the Lord will bless me like this. No, it's all that I have is you. I can't believe you trusted me with this. And it's always the first fruits, the first and best. In fact, if we had more time, and maybe if I ever preached through Malachi, in the second dispute between God and Israel and Malachi, I think 1.9 through 2.6 or two, so maybe 1.6 through 2.9, they're bringing like they're janky animals. You don't know that word, janky? Like, he, they, they would find like deformed lambs and then bring that to the Lord. 
It, like they, oh gosh, this sheep has three eyes, gross. Oh, let's sacrifice that to them. Like they were giving God second best. They're like, what can we get? Oh, this guy's got mange. Let's give it to the Lord. I mean, tell me we don't see ourselves in that. No, the offering, the tithe, is 10% of first and best to God because everything's his and that first 10% decides the other 90. That first 10% decides the other 90. And I know they're like, there's some people who are like, well, I mean, in that Old Testament, and I'm glad you asked that. Yes, it's very much an Old Testament idea. And yet when Jesus shows up on the scene, he didn't, he didn't lift it off anybody. Like, look at this verse. This is Matthew 23, 23. I picked this one on purpose. I'll explain after this first sentence. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. I wanted, there, there were a couple I could have picked, but I think the vision of Jesus that gets, you know, mentioned quite a bit, it's like he's got feathered hair and he never says anything mean to anybody. You know, he just kind of shows up with a glow and it's like, you're dead gummit, you're awesome. I mean, nothing wrong with you. I am so blessed that you're identifying as one of my followers. Jesus here, like, woe to you, hypocrite. Man, that's strong to quite strong, isn't it? Listen to what he says. For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Let's just stop for a second and, and say that these, these brothers are a little bit better at the game than we are. <laughs> They're tithing on their spice rack. You know, like you start talking about this stuff with Christians. They're like, gross or take home. Like, how are you doing? They're like, we won't mess this up. So where's the spices? Right? Like, let's put a little paprika in here for the Lord just to make sure. But he's saying, you're trying to buy me off. That's what Jesus says here. Woe to you, hypocrites, trying to buy me off like I can be bought. You're tithing on your spice rack and let you care nothing about justice. You're trying to pay me off and yet you care nothing about mercy. And then in the rebuke, he says, you ought to do both. So he doesn't remove the tithe. He doesn't say, you're tithing wrong. He said, you're trying to buy me off and I can't be bought you need to not only bring me first and best, but then you need to live in such a way that you care about justice and mercy. And even if your checkbook is saying you love me, but you don't care about mercy and justice, then you're still a little twisted. You with me? Okay. I know this is just a lot. I'm too afraid of God and I love you too much not to press like this. You hear me? I got to stand in front of him. And I don't care so much about our numbers as to not tell you the truth about your own soul and what the book says for it. And I'm not, I'm not after your money. I don't care about your money. I don't care about your money. When Lauren and I first got married, I was, I was making $12,000 a year. Most would have probably waited a little bit but she was too crazy about me. It was just out of control. <laughs> I was working at a church called Beltway Park in Abilene, Texas, and I will sing their praises till I go home to be with Jesus. When David Queed found me, I was jaded, frustrated, thought the church was beyond fixing. 
and just given myself over to itinerant ministry. And David McQueen pulled me in, loved me, taught me, breathed life into my soul, and hired me on staff for 12,000 a year. That's not a lot of money. So when Lauren and I, we were living in married student housing, 350 bucks a month to live there. It had window units. Anybody remember window units? I mean, some bougie mugs in here. I didn't know if you did. So we had a window unit in the living room and a window unit in the bedroom. And then we scrapped up to get one for the guest room. And I'm telling you, the middle of summer, if you had to close that bathroom door for any significant amount of time, you were taking your life in your hands. (laughs) And, And we were broke, 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 broke. In fact, I think my, I don't have time for that story. Let's just keep going. So Lauren and I, we, we sat and we wanted to talk about what our life was going to look like. Both of us convictionally believe that the tithe, the Bible teaches that the tithe, 10% of gross belongs to the church that we belong to. That's how we show it. So at that point, it was Beltway Park. Now, now I'm broke, broke. I'm already broke. Now I'm broke, broke, broke. And then we had been the recipient of such ridiculous generosity that we decided, even as we were broke, broke, because I don't know if you know this, like if you cash out your monthly incomes, you can put it on the table and see where it all goes. When you only make 12 grand a year, that's pretty easy to do. It's not like you don't got stacks of bills, right? It's just like, there's rent. (laughs) Be careful. Uh, Don't lose a dollar. Um, and, And we would go out to, like I'd go do a disciple now and like some podunk little town in West Texas, you know, like Anson and and make like 300 bones. And and then I'd come back and we're like, oh my gosh, treat yourself. And and we would go out to eat and we'd go out to eat and, and we'd go to this little, uh, this little Asian food place called the Szechuan grill. Uh, and, and we'd splurge, man, beef and broccoli, not just chicken or broth. I'm getting the beef and broccoli and and people would, people from the church would recognize and they would buy our food. And there was a time somebody at the church, like, Bought me tires for my Pontiac Sunbird. Like it looked like I was in the Indy. I mean, it looked like I was an Indy racer, man. Those things were smooth as all get out. And somebody just bought us tires. How crazy is that? And we just kept being the recipients of other people's generosity. And so Lauren and I wanted to set aside additional monies, 10% to the church and then another, in all, a significant percentage of our money to bless others, to be able to do the same thing. And to this day, I, I don't make 12,000 a year anymore. Thank God. But we have stuck to those percentages 23 years of marriage. As life has ebbed and flowed, and even as it constricted us, anybody ever been constricted? Like that budget shrank somehow, like something happened, like, oh, oh, eight. Oh, gas prices just quadrupled. Can we turn that pipeline on? Um, <laughs> no, that's political. I'm not doing that today. I'm going to wipe this off the stream. But seriously, just turn it on. It's just a. Just, um, like, even as life squeezed us, And I'm glad my wife is here. We have chosen houses, cars, vacations, and hobbies based on that commitment. And there have been few things in our lives as joyful 
as having just a little flow to bless someone else with. Man, we, I mean, if I, if I see one of our staff out, man, I'm trying to, I'm trying to buy that dinner. Why wouldn't I? Oh my gosh, I've received so much. Been given, so been entrusted with so much. So what's the application? I think the application is, is twofold. The first is, regardless of how you see yourself in the spiritual mirror, what you love first and most is only clearly seen in what you're spending all that money on. And I used the Abilene, I, that my emphasis was all, I used the Abilene illustration so you'd know even at 12 grand a year, it's possible. What's first and best in your life? Not the Sunday school answer. I know you can give it to me right now. Gosh, I see a lot of you sit in the same seats every week. I know. Like, well, I'm consistently in church. Congratulations, that doesn't mean squat. Well, you know, if you knew my background, you'd see how far I've come. Maybe so, but I don't know that that's how God measures things. He's measuring first and best. He's measuring, have you brought your whole self and laid it at his feet? And then on just kind of the practicalities of it all, I think it can look a thousand different ways. Lauren and I, we, we set up that, that auto give. Like it just pulls every month. Why? Because that's how all my big bills go. I ain't writing a check for my mom. I don't even know where our checkbook is somewhere. I got to set that stuff up online, dedicate it to the Lord and, and just let it come out. First and best. I'm not every month going, oh, baby needs some new shoes. Guess we're going to have a cut a little bit here. I'd be tempted. Dang it, I might even give in. So I just set it and it rolls. And then if you were, there are two men in this church to get my tax return every year. Part of me being held accountable to what I'm saying to you right now is those brothers knowing that. It's not biblical. I'm not asking you to do that. I'm saying I do that because I'm prone to wander. You look at my life, you're like, dang, this guy loves the kingdom. He he loves church planning. He, he loves kids that are in a, a tough spot. He, he, he likes to just be generous in these little ways. This brother likes to get out on the Brazos River. This guy likes to hunt big animals. This guy likes boots. <laughs> this brother really likes his truck. But more than anything, this man loves the kingdom of God. So I'm asking you to look into the mirror, to gaze into the MRI of your soul. Who is currently receiving your worship and what moves you need to make to bring yourself into obedience to the word of God. Father, I bless these men and women in the name of Jesus. I thank you for how you, I thank you for how generous you've been to us. I'm just so struck by your generosity. Gosh, you, you lifted us out of the muck and the mire. You've set our feet on a rock. You put a hymn of praise into our mouth. Gosh, you've trusted us with stuff. It sounds crazy to me that you would trust me. I don't hardly try. I certainly don't trust me like you trust me. And so thank you. I pray that we would order our lives around understanding that all of it's yours. And then I'm going to give an account. I pray that my life would scream that what is first and best is your kingdom. Help us 
It's for your beautiful name I pray. Amen.